Hello and welcome to another episode of The Voice for American Law Enforcement with your host, Randy Sutton. I am a 34-year police veteran. I am the author of uh, several books, including A Cop's Life and the upcoming Rescuing 911: The Fight for America's Safety, a very timely book, especially now. And then uh, also the founder of The Wounded Blue, the National Assistance and Support Organization for Injured and Disabled Law Enforcement Officers. Um, I uh, love to talk about law enforcement, and that's all we do on the show. And I love to have a great guest with me, and I will not disappoint the listeners and the viewers today because I have with me the unconquerable Dave Smith. And Dave Smith is, I could read his pedigree, but let's just say that he's been involved in the law enforcement world for decades and uh, was a lieutenant with the Arizona Highway Patrol and has trained uh, probably, what would you say, Dave, 40,000 cops in your in your history, more? Oh, man, you just in, that's just in seminars, you know, you think about <laughs> the, my years with the Law Enforcement Television Network, you know, we had a quarter of a million cops signed up, so that's a lot of people there. That's a lot so, of people. Dave, Dave is, is literally um, one of the most uh, um, sought-after criminal justice experts in the country, and he his viewpoints on uh, on the topics of law enforcement are uh, entertaining as well as informative. So, Dave, thanks for joining me here on The Voice for American Law Enforcement. Uh, it's always great to, to be with you, uh, Randy, and always uh, uh, h- talking about topics that are critical to law enforcement. So let's jump jump right in. Um, there was there there have been things taking place in our nation that are stunning uh, of late. And last night, um, while I was getting ready to go on Fox News, I received a, a message saying, "Hey, be prepared to be um, uh, to be canceled because the FBI are now raiding the home of the former president Donald Trump." Um, so I, I actually expected that 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 would take place. They actually put me on, but I've been watching the coverage of this. Uh, of this search warrant being served on the former president of the United States. And I'm, I'm not only am I stunned, but I am, um, I'm really, really concerned. Dave, you and I spent de- literally decades working in law enforcement. We know what power is. Um, and, and I, for one, uh, am very, very cautious when it comes to to granting more power, especially in a law enforcement setting. While we love to have more tools at our disposal and we like to have that power, it can be abused. And I, I've got to say, I am really concerned that, that this search warrant is going to turn out to be something that is we will find to be an abuse of power. What are your thoughts on this? Oh man, I got to tell you what, that has still gotten me stymied because this seems like a like a bridge too far, you know. And that's my my question is what are they? Is there so much animus toward uh, Trump that we've got to uh, literally suspend those things we know are essential to a constitutional republic? You know, think about it, Randy. When when we were doing search warrants, uh, we still supposedly today have to. Uh, specifically articulate our our probable cause we have to articulate those items to be seized and then we have to leave a very clear 
list to the person who was the subject of that warrant. And then for the citizens who aren't law enforcement listening to this, you know, that's there's a liability for you when you sign that as an you when you are signing the warrant to the judge, you're swearing. I mean, it's a it's an oath that you are telling the truth. Now, if it's true that they were taking wholesale boxes, that must have been the most generally written search warrant I've ever heard of. And the problem I have is this is what exactly it, it, because this constant cascade of investigations whether you like Trump or not, I don't care if you hate Trump, if you person who loves freedom, you have to be concerned about this because is the process being followed? You know, we see it with Hillary and, you know, washing, uh, you know, bleach wiping her her uh, required uh, to be preserved information. Uh, we see the Hunter Biden, uh, what people who have, people who have actually seen his laptop say it's full of all kinds of felonious information or felonious evidence. And yet here we are, we're like, you know, have we become so supine as a people that we'll suspend our our rights just to go get this guy it's it's very bizarre so now you know we we have very very little information to go on you know just right. what what's hit the news and of course i'm not exactly very trusting of, of news sources these days either um but you but you bring up a really good point and that is you know the the uh, uh the issues surrounding obtaining search warrants this is critical law enforcement stuff and the and the FBI has to follow the same process that that any police department does when it comes down to meeting the requirements for uh, presenting enough evidence to a judge to get that search warrant and of course getting a search warrant for a residence uh, which is the the you know the the castle doctrine if you will uh, that has always been probably the most restrictive uh, ability to get a search warrant in our history because the founding fathers are so concerned about people going into the homes of American citizens. So this is this is important, important stuff. Now, um, at what point do you think the the FBI or the Department of Justice, I should say, will will make public the affidavit for that search warrant? What what point do you think we'll be able to see that? and then be able to judge for ourselves. You know, let's, you're hitting a key point here, and this is something that, you know, my wife, a 29-year veteran of law enforcement, and uh, she was talking about when this first happened, well, where is the announcement? Where is the, you know, it, it, just think about a municipal government where the mayor had a search warrant served against a guy running against or a gal running against that mayor. There would ex the public and the media would demand an immediate uh, uh, state, either the, the law enforcement officers or the agency doing the investigation. We see nothing. We hear nothing. Not, not only that, but Dave, but but I I actually I had to do a double take when I when I read the uh, one of the press reports that said the White House had no knowledge that the FBI was going to uh, uh, conduct this raid. I, I do they think we're idiots? Mm -hmm. Well, don't answer that question. No, you know what? They, it's, <laughs> yeah, they, they either think we're idiots. You know, again, Randy, you know, I study all this stuff. My, uh, you know, my degree was political science. So during the time of the Soviet Union, I, had, you know, studied this and, you know, 
And, and I guess because of that, I've always been very hypersensitive to those things or changes in our own government, our own society that might lead to that. But, you know, there was a there's a great book. Uh, I would commend it to people, A Mountain of Crumbs. I uh, can't think who the author is right now, but this is a young gal growing up in the Soviet Union. And she eventually ends up in Texas, marries an American and moves to Texas where she's free and she writes her memoirs. It's an excellent book because she does explain a lot of things growing up in that Soviet culture. You know, and she talks about people who are disappeared, uh, but they're always seeing the thing people have to understand that those people sent to gulags were charged with crimes. And this is when I see these capricious crimes being exacerbated. I just watch for them to to criminalize, and we'll talk about this later, but the criminalization of your your taxation, wait till an audit is a criminal investigation with 87,000 new and agents comrade coming into the system. But the thing is, is that she is talking to a Westerner about something they call a game called Vranyo. And I'm not probably pronouncing it correct. I just read it. You know, it's one of those words that you read. It's a, a Russian word. And to you and I, if you look it up, uh, it just, it means white lie uh, in Russian. But during the time of the Soviet Union, it, it was, uh, she describes it as a game the people of the Soviet uh, Union played. And the guy, the Westerner asked her, uh, well, what are the rules? She goes, it's, it's very simple. They lie to you. You know they're lying. They know you know they're lying. And they keep lying to you. And you keep pretending to believe them. And that's Ranyo in, in the Soviet Union. It was a, it was everybody knew they were lying. And the Soviets, the, the government knew they were lying to the people. But the people had to pretend they believed it. And this is the kind of thing we're in a society today where this constant stream of lie. You know, the, the whole the whole thing with propaganda, of course, if you study the nature of propaganda, throughout the Trump era, everything was a lie. Yeah, you know, he's bombastic, he exaggerates, he does these things. But the nature of lies from the government is far more serious than that. And we have seen since this administration, where is the transparency, this continuous stream of lies? This is a this has just become we make the Soviet Union look honest, you know, that's, that's, uh, and this is the problem I have. You, you know, um, I've been watching this as you have. And I, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm rather incredulous that we could have taken this path so quickly and that with with the full cooperation of and, and I, you know, I, I, I'm not a. A, uh, a big political person. In fact, I don't think that that politics belongs in policing. However, it has now become so intertwined with law enforcement and the political, uh, you know, tentacles that you can't have a conversation about policing without bringing politics into it. So we may as well just dive right in here. And I, I, I just have to say that um, that people who I thought were had common sense and were were really concerned about the countries in the democratic leadership of this nation suddenly seem to have all gone into lockstep and that lockstep is a goose step um with uh with a, a totalitarian uh type of um mindset where it, where you know we are now becoming a nation that is under siege by our own leadership, and and this is 
this is something that that should frighten every American. But I, I just see I see a lot of complacency here. You know, and it's not just complacency; it's agreement. And you know, I got to tell you, when you study the nature of political movements, you know, Hannah Arendt warned us in the origins of totalitarianism. Number one, don't expect the intellectual class to preserve your freedoms because they all become very, what we would look at in terms of political science is Platonists, you know, Plato's uh, the Republic, the, the, the philosopher king should rule, you know, Plato hated democracy. Uh, and we've seen in these movements ever since the Obama era, you know, policing in the 21st century, uh, these extremely interesting, yet always uh, couched intellectual terms, these these movements, you know, uh, the Guardian movement, you know, well, what is, is that a neutral value? What the heck does that mean? You know, but it wasn't just about a name. It was about making sure that you didn't use other terms. And when you study the nature of totalitarianism, it's always about controlling thought. It's about changing the meaning of words. And now look at this. We have dictionary companies that will change the meaning of a word based on whatever the White House press secretary said today. We're in a recession. Oh, no, that's not actually the definition of a recession anymore. <laughs> you know, and these are the kind of things it's just become bizarre. Now, on top of this, see, it, and again, this is the problem when you talk about uh, those of us who are from a law enforcement uh, culture. You know, our first, our very first oath is to our constitution because we know that when this was, this country was being uh, developed, we had to have a check and balance against those, the government itself, against the actual, and the, the our constitution that, that uh, of course, Obama called a, a document of negative rights. Well, it, because it restrains government. It, the constitution isn't f for the government, it's for the people. It's a most individualistic oriented uh, document ever written. And those first 10 amendments that our forefathers were terrified of just listing 10 because they were afraid that the government would eventually say, well, those are the only freedoms you have. That's why the ninth and 10th are so vague and broad. But again, nobody reads history. And when you do read history now, if you're, if you're not careful, you're reading a bizarre twist of slanted government like the 1619 project which is, which is absolute a fable, uh, an oppressor fable. And the problem I have, and again, and we could, you know, Randy, God, you're opening such a Pandora's box of ideas and issues. Law enforcement has got to first of all, worry about the, the rights of the people, the rights of the victims. What we've seen is this uh, social conflict theory evolve from uh, the 1960s and 70s in sociology and criminology over to law schools, especially University of Michigan really professed this, where now the criminal is the victim of an oppressive society. Right. And that society creates the victim criminal. And the victim is ignored. The, the crime victim is not even an element of it, not even thought of. You know, and this is the kind of things that we've got to analyze. If you're gonna stay free, folks, you're gonna to have to go back to constitutional freedoms. You're gonna to have to put chiefs in place that believe in those constitutions. Thank God for the sheriffs is all I can say. Yeah, for sure, for sure. You know, it, it's, it's. Um, I mean, th th this topic is so, um, oh, it's almost overpowering because when you try and put your your thoughts around it, I mean, there are, there's just so much to it. Um, but I, but what I want, I do want to get back to the, something you said, which I think is really critical, and that is 
the lack of consideration for victims now. I mean, you you literally don't even hear any empathy, any sympathy, any respect for the victims of violent crime across America. They don't even, it's like not even an afterthought. In fact, not only is it is in, in New York City or in the state of New York where we are, it's probably the, 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 the big, the, the most glaring example of a, of a failed system anywhere than anywhere in America, the low bail, no bail insanity. But what's a little known um, part of that was the, the laws put into place by the New York state legislature and governor that, that forces the prosecutors to give identifying information, including home addresses and phone numbers to the very people that victimized these these victims in the first place that you know murdered their family that that sexually assaulted them that robbed them at gunpoint now they have to give identifying information to them what, what happened to, i mean you and i were were from an age where um we saw an evolution where victims were uh, were suddenly, you know, put in the forefront, saying, "You know what? We really need to take care of these victims." They began uh, prosecutors' offices and police departments began victim witness programs to to guide them through the the system of justice, and there was a, a respect level. Um, you know, the the uh, uh, the parole boards would have to ask for the input of the victims before they could parole someone. Well, now you're seeing just the opposite happening, where the victims are being victimized all over again by the very same system that that should be um, should be based on on protecting them. Have you not is have you watched this evolution and and has it stunned you as well? You know, again, th this is why it's so hard to talk about it, Randy, because. As you watch this occurring over the last, especially the last eight years accelerating, the problem I've seen is, is that so many, there's so many angles we could talk about that it's hard for me to coalesce into a singular idea. The victim has been so completely swept under the rug. A, a friend of mine's son was shot in a, um, in, in a nice uh, student residential uh, a, a building near the University of Arizona multiple times by a suspect. They finally arrested the suspect and the police went to all the trouble. They found that there were actually two suspects involved, the shooter and his buddy. And the thing that was so amazing to me is, is that uh, the detective, you know, put together a heck of a case. Uh, they wanted uh, a huge bond, attempted homicide, and yet, the county attorney here in Pima County, Arizona, which is an enlightened uh, 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 new age, whatever you want to call it, uh, socially aware prosecutor, asked for $5,000 bond. For, for attempted murder? For, yeah, the kid, the kid is, he was shot several months ago. He's still recovering. Uh, the guy, the suspect, you know, was located, arrested finally. And uh, 
the thing is, is that you, you ask yourself, you know, look, don't they see that this even victimizes the family even more, the victim even more, that there's so much contempt for the victim. And again, you, you know, understand that you can't, the, the, the whole, this whole theory, this whole legal theory is absurdist. It's just based on fantasy. But you know, and I keep thinking back to an article I read uh, several years ago, uh, Talib Nassim, the guy that wrote the, uh, the Black Swan, you know, and he said that, uh, you know, that, that it was intellectual yet idiots, you know, the, the, the intellectual cadre in this country that's unable to have second order thinking. And you see this time and again, like the, the, the clown that ordered the, the searching of uh, uh, President uh, Trump's house or in Mar-a-Lago, you know, they may be thinking, well, we're just going to get enough evidence to keep him from being president. But there's got to be a second order thinking. What is the what is the ripple effect? And that's what second order thinking is, in essence, the ripple effect of any decision, of any action. And throughout this administration, we've seen the inability to uh, to even think about when, when anybody brings up an idea that, well, you know, this could lead to X or Y. Well, no, we have an expert, you know, and again, we're going to have to change that road to hell is paved, not with, uh, you know, anything but experts now would be the best saying for it. And law enforcement suffers from the same thing, this pseudo intellectual malarkey, where we, we throw a panel of 12 people together who all agree and 60 days later come out with, oh, let's change all of law enforcement about our ideas. You know, that's what policing in the 21st century was. I don't care what you say. Nobody's actually read this stuff. When you sit down and read it, you go, wait, but that's just some grievance. And this is the thing we see in our country. Whoever has a grievance is the ruler. If you offend somebody, if I offend somebody in what I say, I am subject to their ire and the, the media uh, future employers, anybody will shut me down. And that's the thing. That's what being canceled in. Oh, you've offended me. So your freedom of speech, gone. Uh, you know, freedom of association, gone. And the thing is, we see this on the other side. You can go and you can burn stores. You can protest in front of a, a federal felony against a, a Supreme Court justice. And our Justice Department is supine which tells you our entire justice system is supine laying there and your liberties are being literally eroded. And America, you got to get mad because this has just become insane. Unless you want to be a banana republic. And everybody says that. Uh, this is kind of an insult to banana republics. You know, this is ridiculous <laughs> now. Americans, we seek to form a more perfect union. To paraphrase Abraham Lincoln, we are a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. And God willing, we shall not perish from the earth. AmericaOutloud.com Liberty and justice for all. All right, you've all heard Malcolm and the great Dr. Peter McCullough talk about the povidone iodine-based nasal spray, Cofix RX. They talk about it because it's a product that actually works in combating colds, flus, and coronaviruses. Cofix is made in the USA and recommended by thousands of doctors and pharmacists nationwide. It's simple. By attacking viruses where they incubate, you make it easier for your body to heal. Check out the Cofix RX banner ad on AmericaOutloud.com and save 20%. By using promo code OUTLOUD. It's summertime. 
Ready for your vacation to the beach, the lake, or the mountains? But what about your accommodations? Ever wonder what germs were left behind by the previous guests? Kathy G. from Tulsa says the Genesis Fogger gives her peace of mind and confidence when traveling. With Genesis, she knows that the air and surfaces in her vacation rental are free of bacteria and viruses left behind by the previous occupants. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code out loud. With Genesis, you'll be ready for what's next. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep can be infuriating. Your mind races. You toss and turn, and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's digital age makes it even harder. You're not alone with this struggle. Poor sleep affects over 70% of Americans. Even the Centers for Disease Control label insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. To take back your sleep, Healthy Cell has created REM Sleep, the only sleep supplement made to support all four stages of human sleep with calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support delivered in a patent-pending, pill-free, ultra-absorption microgel formula that tastes great. Fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deeply, and wake up refreshed with Healthy Cell's REM Sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. You know, we're at the very first stage of of this um, of the of this Trump search warrant, and uh, there's going to be a tremendous amount of of uh, discussion about this. Uh, there's going to be, I mean, never before in history has this ever taken place, and I can't help but but wonder has the as the FBI, which once was considered to be the untouchables, if you will, uh, have they become now the untrustables? And I, you know, you and I both worked with FBI folks before on a street level, and I have nothing but respect for the abilities and, and the dedication for many of those field agents. But I can't help but think after the observing what took place over the Trump administration and over this, uh, you know, since Biden has been in office, that the FBI is no longer a law enforcement organization that has become a political tool of a political party. And that frightens the hell out of me because the abuse of power at that level can literally enslave our entire nation. You know, you and I haven't had a, a bourbon and a cigar yet to really sit down and talk about this. Because <laughs> I have a feeling I, that's coming. It's coming, and that's where I coalesce a lot of my thoughts. But you're talking about things that I am uh, terrified of. You know, I like I said, you know, if you if you sit there and you read Hannah Arendt. Uh, uh, the origins of totalitarianism, you know, there are certain factors, you know, you have to have the crisis, you have to have a boogeyman of some kind, you know, and we all know uh, Hannah Arendt survived, you know, the, the rise of the Nazis, and that uh, obviously, you know, she's brilliant, she was brilliant, uh, amazing. But the thing that you always see is the odd, um, and I, I commend that book, it's a long, hard read, but it what you see is always the intellectual class leads the, the road to totalitarianism. 
And, you know, again, the FBI is, is highly educated department. And, you know, uh, this is the thing. You have to understand that the SS, uh, you know, 28% of the SS, this, you know, the most hideous uh, military slash law enforcement unit in the history of the world, they were PhDs. Uh, 50 plus percent had uh, uh, masters or higher. Uh, and this is the thing. The intellectual class has to constantly be refreshed in what freedom is. And this is the problem I have too in our whole society. Why is education so antagonistic to freedoms? So embracing of totalitarian ideas. You know, when somebody calls a cop a Nazi, I always listen back to the fact that that was Stalin's trick because he realized very quickly that, that, that fascism had a bad vibe to it, even though they were socialist as well. They're not, when everybody says, well, that's on the right and this is on the left, that's, that's a European right and left. You got to quit forgetting them. You know, <laughs> they were fascist or socialist. In fact, that was one thing. Lenin was very upset that they lost Mussolini and Mussolini developed his fascism. It's all that fascism is communism with a nationalist bent and an idea that, that you can get the media and you can get big business to work with government without having to take over both. Well, and boy, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Where's that going on? <laughs> yeah, it, it sure does. Yeah, it does. Doesn't it scare the hell out of you? And that's the problem I have is, look, you know what? It's one thing. It, it, the First Amendment is one of the key elements because it is the First Amendment. Freedom of speech, freedom of thought, freedom of association, the right to assemble and protest. You know, we let we let COVID suspend all of our, our civil rights and we sat there again. We were the ones who were supine. So maybe, I don't know, you know, being free requires a little graphite on your spine. Uh, all you guys and gals listening to this, you know, let's do a self-evaluation. What are you willing to do? What are you willing to protest? And that's the thing, you know, let's speak up, learn to speak again and cancel, cancel culture. That's the thing. That's so, that's so that's the most ridiculous thing that, that that is literally if people accept cancel culture, they're nothing but a member of a mob yeah. and they're not a free, they're not a free society of individuals anymore. Well, I got to tell you, man, this is, this is a dark subject and, uh, and, and, you know, and as you know, this is a law enforcement show, but law enforcement, when it comes down to it, and, and this was something that I always wondered about being a student of history myself, when when Nazi Germany began to, its rise, um, you know there was a civil police department. There they were cops, just like there were cops in New York and there and in the United States. But when when they started to create laws that would uh, that would oppress others, who did it fall upon to enforce those laws? And and that's what I'm afraid of that that the that the law enforcement community in America is going to be forced into a role of an oppressor, you know, a real oppressor, not not the not the the titles that are that are being thrown around in the you know in the in the Portland protests with with uh, with the mob there, uh, but true oppressors because they they will be forced to enforce laws. Like I mean, let's talk about. I mean, we're going to re we're going to jump right into the into the uh, the IRS deal now. So now, I, I I it's almost unfathomable that 
that they they could actually get through a, a uh, an entire uh, budgetary monstrosity where eighty five thousand more IRS agents are going to be put into place, and nobody is screaming that this that this is an outrage. This. I'm I'm almost Man, speechless, Dave. I'm almost speechless that that the that the that they could get away with it, and it looks like they may. Oh, they have. I mean, let's face it. All it, you know, for, as we are shooting right now, the House still hasn't voted on it, but you know, Biden's is a is a rubber stamp to that. You know, this is the thing. Let's go back in history, which nobody does again, and we have because you know it's such a. a, a evil topic but let's go back in history we the constitution of the united states had to be changed i want everybody listen to this carefully the constitution of the united states had to be changed to allow income tax i said that right income tax was against the constitution of the united states there would be no irs there would need because you know why because envy destroys freedom Envy is a is not jealousy. Envy is you have something I don't have. I don't want to work to get what you have. I might be jealous of you with that, and then make me work harder to get what you have, Randy. But envy is look, you've got it. It makes me unhappy. You have it, and I just want it taken away from you. That's envy. Envy can literally be decided. It's almost like Schadenfreude, joy at others' sorrow. And only this is different. It's also sorrow at others' joy. This is why it's a sin. And jealousy is not a sin. Envy is a sin. And our our ancestors knew that's one of the things that destroyed the Greek and Roman cultures. They were very, very concerned about envy. That's why democracies don't last very long. That's why they talked about being able to vote away people's money. That's why they built into the Constitution. Number one, we are not a democracy. We were a public. Number two, we had all the powers of government spread out. So no one group had power. So it was constantly power against power. This is why when the states lost their power, which was the Senate, that was the Senate did not represent the people. The Senate was be was to represent the interests of the states. The people are represented in the House of Representatives. The government is represented by the president and the referees were supposed to be the, the Supreme Court judges. And if you read the anti-federalist papers, all these people said, understand, we need to make sure because that's every court, this court will eventually try to become the imperial judiciary. And the thing is, is that even Franklin warned about when you put a president in, we're going to pick a good one the first time, he said, paraphrasing him, but we can't control who you put in afterwards and eventually you're going to have a king. And this is the kind of thing we have to understand. Our government was designed, number one, never to be able to take away your personal earnings, or especially to deny your and your descendants your your efforts and your savings and your uh, your capital. And yet now we're talking about well, we well, if you die and you have so much money, we're going to take half of it. Eventually, they want to take all of it. That's egalitarian. That's so Soviet gang. It's ridiculous. But again, it's why. Why do you care if somebody's millionaire? Well, if you're envious of them, you're not going to get that money. You know the government's not going to give you that money, but you don't want them to have. You're sorrowful at their joy. And this is the thing. We have a whole society based on envy now. Now, this 
let's go to the IRS. Again, like I said, they shouldn't even exist. Now we've changed our constitution. We've taken away the state's rights. Nobody's there. The people are represented by the House of Representatives, but the Senate is the same thing. And what you can say is essentially urban America runs this country now. All, you know, uh, the LA's, the New York's, the Phoenix's, uh, you know, they run our states. Now you have a system where envy has become dominant uh, and bringing in 87,000 new agents, the uh, 700,000 new rounds they bought. Why are you buying rounds for accountants? Aren't they supposed to just be doing audits? Yeah. But once you criminalize the IRS, you know, think about it. Think of the power you're going to have. Oh, what do you vote Republican? Uh, come in for an audit and bring all your paperwork. Oh, and by the way, bring this and show that, you know, we don't agree with that deduction. That might be criminal now. Uh, and, you know, people are like, oh, you're paranoid. Well, I, I, I am now. Yeah. I wasn't before. Right. But what the heck? Well, it's, it's not like we haven't seen the, uh, an IRS who was weaponized against the people previously in in the uh, in the Obama administration. Uh, and of oh, course, yeah, look what happened to the Tea Party. Yeah. 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 It, it's. We don't we're, we're not good at learning from our past mistakes, apparently, Dave, we're 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 just destined to continue to to um, repeat these mistakes over and over. But before we get into the next topic, I want to talk about um, uh, a, a company that is supporting law enforcement in a major way and also uh, has a product that can keep law enforcement officers and their families safer. It's called OfficerPrivacy.com. And uh, it's, it's a, a, a company that um, helps protect against being doxxed. Now, when, when I first was approached about what doxing is, I didn't really understand it. I'm not a real technical guy. But I've learned since that there are people that really know how to use the Internet, that many of these people uh, have a deep hatred towards law enforcement and know how to utilize technology in order to literally target law enforcement officers and their families by finding information about where these officers live, uh, their, uh, their history on the internet. And uh, what officerprivacy.com does is it removes the ability for these uh, nefarious people to try and, and identify, get identifying information from a law enforcement officer or his family. So um, it's owned by a former law enforcement officer great guy. Uh, and uh, uh, it's not expensive. And I sincerely urge if you are or have been law enforcement, you take a look at officerprivacy.com. And uh, I think you're going to find something that is going to sincerely interest you. That's officerprivacy.com. Now, um, I, I think let's, let's, let's go away from the IRS and the, these, these massive topics that were that we brought up because even as as the, that oppressiveness kind of is starting to envelope some of our discussion on the local levels we're still got more and more problems uh this headline uh just came out nypd cops leave in record-breaking exodus before full pensions set in quote this exodus is a result of cops in the prime of their careers deciding they have had enough unquote that's from patrick lynch Police Benevolent Association. And uh, a number of cops who have filed leave before reaching full pension eligibility offered at 20 years in New York City. 
20 years, has reached nearly 2,000 officers so far this year, compared to 641 last year. So a total of 2,465 NYPD officers have filed to leave the department this year. We're only in August. Dave, this is, that's, t that's, 10% of the entire department who have, who have said, we're not doing it anymore. This, no. this is, and then the mayor comes out, was a couple weeks ago and says, well, when he's confronted about this, says, that's not something that really worries me. Well, then he's an idiot because he ought to be worried about that. Um, and, and, you know, we see this and, and it's not just NYPD. We're seeing this all over the country, but Dave, what what is the i don't think people grasp just how serious this is because the long-term implications are astounding what are your thoughts on that you know my thoughts are is that that just tells you how bad our society is today when young men and women give up their careers because of the cynical nature of our politicians who've created an environment. You know, I got to say, you know, one of the things that you and I have talked about in the past is these kids that are staying in the fight are really remarkable in spite of everything. And now you got a bailing, you know, people with less than 20 on, you know, it's amazing to me, you know, when you and I started, it was, there was prestige. People, there was an intrinsic reward, as we used to say. We're not doing it for the money. We're doing it for what we believe. We're doing it for the adventure. Let's be honest. It's a great adventure. But at the same time, we knew we had uh, qualified immunity, which is not an un, which is not what the media presents, an unqualified right to do bad. It was simply the fact that we knew if we act in good faith based on our policy and training, we would be protected. Now politicians are saying, no, not at all. In fact, we're going to go back and retroactively look in the past, use hindsight bias and prosecute you. And all you got to do is see what happened in Louisville. You know, the lies and the media, it, it, you've got the propagandists in the media. They're not media anymore. There's no media anymore. It's all propaganda. And if you study the nature of propaganda, which we don't have time on this show, Randy, but boy, I'll tell you what, someday we need to just take an hour and break down what the nature of propaganda is. And this thing is, is that we are in a society where there's constant oppression. Well, it's a rational choice for an officer to say, okay, I'm not waiting 20. I'm going to take my career and move on to something else. Uh, it's just amazing to me, you know, um, and that's the thing. It, it, it's, it breaks my heart because we're losing all these people. And they're like, uh, you know, what, why would I? Why would I serve a community that doesn't respect me? Why would I risk my life when the fact is, if I survive a confrontation, you're going to come back and go after me again. It, it, you know, it, this is, I get so frustrated. This is my problem. Over the decades that I've interviewed officers who have one armed confrontations, survived being shot, survived all these critical incidents. The one thing that I always felt was look, that the, the, they would time and again say being shot at wasn't the hardest part. Being shot wasn't the hardest part. The administrative stress afterward was the hardest part. And I was always, you know, thank God I never had to shoot anybody because that was the nightmare. And, I, and the thing is now you not only have the administrative stress, you have the the, the, the criminal stress. The, the, the system is literally stacked against you. Like I said, part of this, understand what this, when you look at this particular form of criminal justice theory, the cops are the bad guys. The, yeah. the victim, the hero is the criminal. That's what... 
This social conflict theory does, it flips all the things we know upside down. And the problem is arguing against it because it's pseudo intellectual claptrap. But the point is, is again, it's got its own esoterica, its own language, and it's hard for normal people to argue it because they get hit with language they don't even understand. They get hit with terms they don't understand, which are made up whole cloth idiocies. Yeah. And again, uh, it's frustrating because you got law schools putting out lawyer after lawyer, and those lawyers become judges that believe this malarkey. And of course, the end result and the reality is this crime wave across our country and cops leaving like in New York. And that's not just New York. It's all across the country. That's just a New York isn't a microcosm. It's a macrocosm of what's happened nationally. And country, I'm telling you what, you're going to get what you deserve. You keep this up, this chaos, this, you know, I, Again, I study all this for cops. I write articles on this stuff. You know, and I've been studying civil crisis. I've been studying civil violence, and it scares me to death because we're the ones caught in the middle of all that kind of, uh, of civil crisis. Our youngsters, our men and women on the street, they're the ones that are going to be put in that turmoil. And, you know, the one thing that America has always avoided most political conflicts because we knew we get a revolution, a revolution every two years politically. And that's the thing when you when I read a book like Why Men Rebel by Ted Gurr, you know, he talks about the fact that America mostly has escaped political violence. And the one time we couldn't, we killed hundreds of thousands in a civil war. Yeah, yeah. And it terrifies me. I'm not saying we're going to have a civil war, but what I'm saying is we allowed that civil <clears throat> conflict to occur after George Floyd without any government intervention. And if you study the history of rioting, Without action, without ramification, the next riots are going to be much, much worse. And it's just to me, I just worry and worry and worry about this stuff. But again, you know, when you try to write about it, you try to talk about it, and you're a conspiracy theorist or worse, uh, you get some label slapped on you and then it's uh, you're canceled. So uh, it's just, again, I don't, I, I read this stuff and I don't even know how to express it. It's just, you're right. We're in the, this is just a small symptom of a greater crisis. You know, I want to I want to talk about the, you know, the the real world implications of the uh, of this crisis in law enforcement, and that real world the real world implications are police officers being um, severely injured or killed in the line of duty at an unprecedented rate. And uh, you know, I created the Wounded Blue because of. The, um, the way that many of these police officers have been treated once they become injured and disabled. You know, Dave, you've, you've spoken to, to literally hundreds, if not thousands of police officers who have survived uh, critical uh, incidents such as shootings. And you said very eloquently that they're, they're, not, they're not even scared of the bad guys. They're scared of their own administrations. And that often translates into the way they are treated once they become injured and disabled. And that's why the Wounded Blue exists. So for my law enforcement audience out there, um, we realize your struggles, whether those, those injuries that you have, uh, that you have uh, uh, been subjected to were physical or psychological and emotional. Um, the team at the Wounded Blue is made up of all cops who have been shot, stabbed, beaten, run over, have been um, uh, you know through this this horrendous experience, and it's a lonely feeling. That's why you'll see on my shirt, "Never forgotten, never alone," 
because that is what we all feel when we have been uh, severely injured in the line of duty. So if you are a police officer or have been and you're struggling, uh, contact us here at the Wounded Blue. Go to thewoundedblue.org. Now, also, if you are a law enforcement officer or have been or are suffering, we have an incredible uh, training conference coming up in October. It's called the Second Annual National Law Enforcement Survival Summit. This, if you got one training to go to in a year, come to this training. Every aspect about surviving a law enforcement career, physically, tactically. In fact, Dave and Betsy are going to be instructors at this. Um, emotionally, psychologically, relationships, uh, the way your children um, react once you're you're injured in the line of duty. This is going to be an amazing conference. Uh, we had our first one in Las Vegas last year. It was it was magical. So please uh, go to thewoundedblue.org. Uh, it's October 11th through the 14th in Indiana. So it's right in the center of the country. Make sure that you go to your your agency and say I need to go to this. And if you can't afford it, contact me, Randy at thewoundedblue.org. And maybe we can get a, a scholarship for you, okay? So go to thewoundedblue.org, go under events, and check out the National Law Enforcement Survival Summit. So Dave, we, in the few minutes that we have, we have left, um, you know, I, I, you and I have been involved in training for literally for decades. So um, th this, this headline kind of caught my eye. Veteran LAPD sergeant to serve as civilian dean of training for Portland. And uh, this is the rest of the headline. This is from Oregon Live. Thomas L. Dotro said he wants to incorporate Portland residents into police training and strives to teach officers to be problem solvers. He's a sergeant with the LAPD and uh, has been selected by Portland police to serve as the Bureau's new civilian director of training. Uh, now, he's got to pass a background check. He's going to get paid $205,000. Not bad. Uh, he's been a cop for almost uh, 20 years. He's got a master's degree in public administration from, from Cal State, a doctor in education from Southern California. Uh, now, he was chosen uh, about, uh, well, he's, he hosts a, a podcast called Policing in America, Build as a Discussion of race and policing, the good, the bad, and the ugly, with the goal of pursuing uncomfortable conversations to spark positive change. Uh, so uh, it, it's what I found interesting was that um, that some of the the members of the Portland uh, City Council didn't want to hire him because he actually has some police experience. They wanted someone that had no police experience whatsoever to be the head of training for the Portland Police Bureau. Dave, it, it, it's like getting, going from the sublime to the ridiculous. Uh, and, and uh, you know, at least, at least he's a 20-year cop that's, gotten, that's been involved in training. But I'm smelling progressive <laughs> when, I, when, I, when, I, when I read some of his quotes here. Um, I, I, I can't help but think that um, this isn't going to be about surviving a law enforcement career. You know, I, when I, when I very first heard that, you know, uh, I, uh, Betsy read the headline to me and, and then we read about it. You know, the thing is, is that of course, uh, if it's Portland, it's a woke, it's absolutely woke. 
And the problem is, is we all know woke is again, that it's that esoterica. It's a, uh, it's going to be psychobabble malarkey. The, the problem we have as a society is we just can't really deal with the reality. We just might much rather deal with utopian dreams. Now, the fact that they're calling it a dean and all these other things, it's not going to change. Police work's still going to be a man or a woman going on a call, dealing with people in crisis, dealing with people who are victims, dealing with criminals. That's the that's a pragmatic Aristotelian reality of it. And sometimes you just got to take charge. Sometimes you have to fight people. Sometimes you have to kill people. And you don't know. You just never know. That's the whole thing. This is a very ambiguous world with all kinds of risks. Law enforcement officers have to be trained across a broad, a broad spectrum. The civilians who have no idea are making judgments about what our training should be. And I always find it amazing when you put a FATS type system, a, a firearm simulator up and, and bring in the media, they kill everybody in the scenario. <laughs> That's right. It's the worst of all judgmental people. And when I've been interviewed, of course, I've been under attack for uh, several years now as my because I teach officer safety, which is a sin, um, a deep, terrible sin. You know, and I get these calls and I'll be talking to the reporters and they've never read any of my articles. They know nothing about me. They've had some hearsay. Uh, something has been pointed out by some academic in John Jay College or somewhere that Dave Smith teaches this or teaches that. And I go, what what does that mean to you? Well, it means you teach to uh, hurt people. You teach, well, Wait, wait, wait. Uh, so you're saying I should not teach police officers to defend themselves effectively, to have the right mindset to, to survive? You know, and you're just talking about how important the wounded blue, which is more important than ever now, because, you know, part of post-traumatic stress is the way society reacts to your level of uh, violence that you've been involved, how it reacts to you. Uh, and again, this is the thing is that our society has to understand what kind of society you want. You want cops that are trained effectively? You know, two weeks before George Floyd died of his drug overdose and we prosecuted those officers, um, they were learning about pronouns. That, that's a critical <laughs> thing, right? They're having pro pronoun training in Minneapolis PD. And then they surrendered the city to the protesters. Uh, I got to tell you what, if you'd written that as a 20 years ago, imagine having written that as a screenplay. People would just laugh at you. Mock yeah, it. yeah it would have been like a, the Escape from New York. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> you know, here's the thing. Think about it. In September, let's say 14th, 2001, America was madly in love with its crime fighters, madly in love with the military, madly in love with those who kept us safe. 9-11 had refreshed everybody and how important it was to have a, people defending you and protecting you. And now we have a society where people are, they want to def defund the police. They want to do what, what do they want? What can stab you? What do you believe about human nature? Well, again, it's Platonism. of, it's utopian dreams that somehow our species will change for the better if we just don't do any social constraints on them. This is, this is all, again, we, we saw under COVID, uh, the bizarre nature of it. We saw the bizarre suspension of reality. We saw literally the destruction of everything we know about science. You know, it's so funny. You well, take it. You, know you know what, Dave, I'm going to have to cut us off there because I'm running out of time, literally. And but you uh, got me fired up. No, I, Andy, I, I know. Well, we will continue this discussion. And I want to thank you for, for coming on to the show, Dave. You're, you're, um, 
your visions here are just amazing. I'm so happy we were able to share it with uh, with the the people who watch and listen to the show. So once again, Dave Smith, thanks for joining me here on The Voice for American Law Enforcement. Thank you, Randy. So th at the end of this show, um, I do what's called End of Watch, where we memorialize those officers who have made the ultimate sacrifice during this week. First one is Deputy Sheriff Andrew Peary, El Paso County Sheriff's Office, Colorado. Deputy Sheriff Andrew Peary was shot and killed while responding to a shots fired call, 5.30 p.m. Fountain Police Department Officer Deputy Peary and another deputy responded to a shooting call. When they arrived in the area, they were immediately met with gunfire. Deputy Peary was transported and he succumbed to his wounds. A woman was found dead in the home's front yard, presumed to have been shot by the subject. The subject committed suicide. Andrew Peary, Deputy Sheriff, El Paso County Sheriff's, end of watch, Sunday, uh, August 7th, 2022. Special Police Officer Marika Mannion, District of Columbia Police Department, Library Office of Public Safety. Special Police Officer Marika Mannion was accidentally shot and killed during baton training inside a training room. Several officers were undergoing baton training when the contracted trainer, a retired police lieutenant from another agency, inadvertently shot her toward the end of the training session. He was charged with involuntary manslaughter. Special Police Officer Marika Mannion, District of Columbia Public Library Office of Public Safety, end of watch Thursday, August 4th, 2022. Sergeant Jean Harold Estree, Fairburn Police Department, Georgia. Sergeant Jean Hartold Estree was killed in a four-car crash in Douglasville. He was driving an unmarked police Dodge Charger when it collided with a truck traveling in the southbound lane. The uh, car crossed into Sergeant Astree's lane and struck him head-on. Sergeant Astree was a United States Air Force Reserve veteran who served with the Fair Fairburn Police Department for over five years. Sergeant Jean Harold Estree, Fairburn Police Department, Georgia, end of watch Thursday, July 28th, 2022. Each of these officers gave their lives in the line of duty for the people that they serve. I want to thank you for joining me here on The Voice for American Law Enforcement. If you're listening to this on iHeartRadio, watching it on AmericaOutloud.com or any of the streaming uh, platforms, uh, please feel free to contact me, Randy, at uh, thewoundedblue.org if you have questions or comments. Follow us on Facebook at, uh, at The Voice for American Law Enforcement. And remember, support your law enforcement. Go to thewoundedblue.org. Give what you can. Thanks so much. This is Randy Sutton.